Hey, I'm Clayton, and this is Men Who Like Men Who Like Movies. Two queer men who love movies and love talking about movies, and after a lot of urging, started a podcast. This one is just me, and it's a special episode I've been very excited about. I am here chatting with Scott Heim about his seminal queer text, Mysterious Skin. Scott, thank you so much for coming to talk with me about this. Hello, thank you. I, as you already know, I probably shouldn't admit this on here, but I hadn't ever read this until... I got the opportunity to talk to you about it. I had seen the film multiple times over the years, and it always broke me, and I always wanted to read the book, but I have really bad anxiety and stuff, and so reading, which I've always loved doing, is really hard for me now. I can't focus. I tend to read the same thing over and over, and it doesn't help that I tend to pick massive books, so I don't get the opportunity to read very often, and this made me sit down and finally read, so... It was wonderful. Well, that's good. It was wonderful. (laughs) I hope it wasn't too traumatic, your first return to reading. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are very familiar with the movie, and, you know, even though it's in the credits at the beginning, still seem to know that there's no book that, you know, originated, that that it originated from. But that's all right. It's, um, I'm glad that the movie was, I love the movie. I'm so glad it was made because it exposed the story to so many more people and you know a lot of people have picked up the book because of it yeah i always have wanted to over the years like i said i i was aware it was based on a book i just never picked it up and this finally i wasn't able to put it down i read it all in one sitting wow i cried for probably the last 40 pages (laughs) so thank you for traumatizing me (laughs) and my cold dead heart (laughs) Don't often get to, you know, tell a creator, like, hey, thank you. He fucked me up. So, <laughs> thank you. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> I uh, did a back-to-back thing. I actually rewatched the film because it had been a few years. And I uh, watched that directly before reading the book. And as far as adaptations go, it is really, really close. Yeah, it is. I know a lot of other writers who, <clears throat> you know, are lucky enough to have their books made into films. And... A very, very small per- percentage of them wind up liking the the film. And I, I, I really, I feel like I'm one of the few, you know, that was very happy with the adaptation. And I, I feel like the ultimate compliment you can play, pay a writer really is to just stay true to the characters and true to what is going on in the book. And so many movies, you know, deviate so much from the story. But yeah, Greg didn't do that really at all. The, the things he changed were very minor. Yeah, and I mean, some things don't always work on the page versus on the screen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they just make ridiculous choices. I know <laughs> anytime an adaptation's made, I'm always like, oh, what are they going to screw up about it? Right. And so sometimes I almost like seeing a movie first, which I got to do in this case, because then I'm not constantly, oh, well, they left this out. They left that out. And or they changed this, and I don't know why they did it. And so I was very pleasantly surprised that very minor changes aside, the story was intact other than, you know, things that they just kind of had to cut out for time. You know, you can't do a six hour movie, sadly. Do you find that's the case with, I don't know, I've I've found that it's sometimes the case with like literary novels or those types of books, whereas... Uh, genre novels like sci-fi or action or whatever are usually those are the cases where people are very disappointed in one or the other but I think like with Mysterious Skin and 
books I'm thinking of that I really like the adaptation, like say The Virgin Suicides. I love that movie. It's one of my favorite books. Um, but I think you know if if it another had been, one, I, I've always wanted to read it because I love the movie and just yeah, it's a, it's a great book. It's one of my favorites. Oh, good. I'll have to check that out then. Make myself do it. I actually I had such a good experience reading this book. I was like, I need to just set aside an hour every day. I'm very schedule oriented. It's and hard. I don't just read enough. Either. Make myself just read for an hour. Yeah, it's an hour. I can do that. And if I can't focus, I can't focus. But I tried. And if I do, great. And if I get sucked in and read for five hours, awesome. <laughs> so, did you have much? I'm going to mainly talk about the book. I promise. Did you have any sort of say in the making of the movie with anything? How involved were you, I guess, is a better question. Yeah, not a huge amount, but I'd say I was to a good degree in sort of off-screen kind of subtle ways. By that, I mean Greg and I have very similar tastes in music, so there had been a lot of, you know, we became friends long before he made the movie, so... There was lots of discussion between us about what we wanted certain scenes to look like, what music we wanted, etc. And, you know, he had me um, send him pictures of places in Kansas where I had set the book and, you know, things like that so he could get a general feel of what was in my head and sort of marry that to the idea that he had for his movie. Other than that, they shot most of it in California which I wasn't for, but then, which I was, which I wasn't there for. But then, when they came to New York to do the New York scenes, I, um, I was around for that. So, that was fun to sort of see all of that in action, and and even kind of, in, sort of blurry body in the background of a subway scene. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. You can't. I mean, if you know it's me, you're like, oh, there he is. But um, you, you know, you would you would never really notice it otherwise. But it was really fun to just sort of see how an, <clears throat> kind of an independent film was made. And, you know, like the subway scenes, there were like a couple of cameramen and Greg and the producers and the actors. And we kind of had to, you know, make sure there were no cops coming because it was, you know, the dead of night and we didn't really have like the right permits. And yeah, that was a lot of fun. I would love to do something like that again. Oh, that's awesome. And I think it was very well cast. Uh, sometimes, you know, things are just like, that is not how you pictured <laughs> them or they how they felt on the page, even if, you know, yeah. looks aren't necessarily the biggest thing, but just the vibe a character gives off. It's like, that's not, it's not even close. And yeah, I was a little bit afraid of that. Knocked it out of the park. Yeah, he totally, he totally, I mean, like now when I think of those characters, even though, even though I created them and they had a, I had a vision in my mind of what they looked like when I wrote them. Um, I can't remember what that was now because I will always see, you know, the way they look in the movie. Right. The main one is that I thought was just kind of funny reading it is I would have never thought reading this book to cast Michelle Trachtenberg at that point in her <laughs> career as Wendy, uh -huh. but she's great. I mean, she's one of my favorite parts of it. And, uh, I just love the different people in it. Yeah. At that point in their careers, did a project like this. 
Yeah, it was, you know, that was sort of another stroke of luck because everybody, so much of the young cast was, like you said, at a certain point in their careers where they were either had just kind of made it or were just on the cusp of making it. So, yeah, it was great to sort of see them sign on and to tackle something which, you know, isn't exactly commercial or... <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's a difficult and sort of you know risky film, I think, to take on, and and so many people did. So it was, that made me happy. Absolutely, I'm glad you uh, liked the adaptation. I always feel bad for authors when when <laughs> their work is not translated well, and then people just assume that's what the book is like. And it's like, no, no, the book is actually good. Just yeah. read it. So, Mysterious Skin, the novel came out in 95 i believe um right the hardcover was 95 and then the paperback came out a year later so uh, how old were you when you wrote this oh, you know i was just thinking about the other day uh, just trying to remember i think i was 28 i wrote it wow. when i was tw- yeah 26 27 Bravo. yeah it all i mean of course, when you're young and wanting something to happen and you're sort of impatient, it all seems like a long process. Like, you know, taking two or three years to finish a book, getting, you know, at the time I was getting my master's degree, and then, you know, it's so difficult to find an agent, and then they have to find an editor and a publisher, and I think it's even worse now. But looking back, I see that I was very lucky, and it all really happened super fast with me, and I just sort of took it for granted at the time, but yeah, it did happen fast. Yeah, I mean, I'm 34, and the thought of writing an entire book seems so daunting. I actually, I went to Purdue for creative writing. I wanted to be a writer, and then depression and life happened. I just recently found (laughs) some movie reviews I had written, because at the time I was like, I'm so going to be the next Roger Ebert, and write a novel, and I was so terrified to even open it and read it. I'm just like, I don't even want to see what I wrote 11 years ago yeah. in my early 20s. It was not nearly as cringy as I thought it would be. Well, but... if it's any consolation, I feel the same about nearly everything I've written. And I can't imagine ever writing another book also. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm at this stage <laughs> well, in my this... life where it's like, I did three and I'm not sure I'll ever write another one. So, yeah, I feel like if you even if you've just done one, it's a enormous accomplishment that you can easily pat yourself on the back for yeah and uh, the material you tackle in this because uh, the book i would love to write is stuff that's happened in my life and some of it's tough material Mm -hmm. and uh, i was like oh well it is possible to handle things in a sensitive and honest way i should maybe try to do this go for it one day (laughs) one day (laughs) you've got lots of time so uh where did you, if you can remember back to the 90s, you know, 10 years ago, that's it, 10 years, what kind of inspired you to make this story? I guess in a sense, there are two kind of parallel interwoven stories in the book. And mm-hmm. they were both things I was, topics I was really interested in and had written about before. All my life, I've been interested in like UFOs and the supernatural and all that sort of stuff. And so I'd read tons of stuff about that, and I guess I always kind of wanted to write about that um, without um, making it seem 
crazy or making the people like involved with it or UFO abductees. I wanted to like tell their story in a sort of human way without making them seem crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And I, so I had written a short story sort of about that. And around the same time, I wrote a short story about someone who was molested as a child and sort of becomes very sexualized in their young adulthood and teenage years and starts hustling. So I'd sort of written two, both of these stories and kind of, I guess I'd turned them into my MFA program. And then I guess I was talking to another writer. And as I was telling him the story of these two short stories, we both just kind of came to the realization, like, this sort of sounds like a novel. Because the trajectory of both the lead character short stories were was very similar. God, I'm really answering a very long answer to your question. But I oh, guess no, the short version is it's it's kind of two things I was always interested in, like personal trauma and trauma resulting from a mysterious origin. And so when I wrote this book, it was like making a novelization of things I'd been interested in for years. Nice. I have to ask, with what just happened in the news, how do you feel about the aliens? Hmm. Um... You know, a part of me was always thinking, God, this is, you know, going to come out sooner or later um, if it's like a congressional hearing. But still, it just seems like because they're withholding so much material, you, you still aren't convinced that, you know, about what is true or not. But it'll be very interesting in the next few years to see what else comes out. Yeah. If the, if the world makes it a few more years. <laughs> exactly. Fingers, cr- fingers crossed. <laughs> well, there's some people who believe that the aliens are here and that's why they're here, is to either help us along toward our downfall or save us from from ruining our planet. Yeah, I saw a video online yesterday, I think, and it was so funny. <laughs> it was just like, the aliens are here. They exist. They exist. And they're like, well, do they have good health care? You know, can we go there? <laughs> so this content mm-hmm. was it tough to handle this sensitively and as honestly as you do because it's very raw it's very real it deals with a lot of complicated feelings and emotions i guess so many people when they're asked that question writers specifically will say some form of yes but i don't know for me it's what I was always interested in, and especially since I was writing a first novel, I didn't really have a conception of what an audience would eventually think or a critic would eventually think. And I was just sort of writing for, at the time, my love of it and my my deep longing to actually finish a full-length book and to get my master's degree that I guess I just didn't think as much about the difficulty of the material or sensitive topic, etc., as maybe I would if I wrote something like that now. Yeah, I, on the topic of just now getting to reading it in my 30s, a part of me was glad I hadn't read it when I was younger, not because the material is inappropriate. I just feel like myself personally wasn't at a place where I could have handled it, where I could have handled it in the best way, perhaps. I didn't have the exact same experiences, but I did have some childhood sexual 
uh, molestation thing going on, not from an adult and nothing this severe, but, you know, it happened. And the sexual assault, again, nothing that horrific, but I had something like that happen in my teens. And so now I've had tons of therapy. And so I was able to read it and enjoy it. But I don't know how traumatized I would have been if, you know, 25 year old me had picked up this book and read it. Yeah. Even though, you know, I'd always been fine in the movie. I mean, it's a it's a ride. It's traumatic, but in a good way. Lots of good feelings. And a novel is just such a different experience. Yeah. I mean, you're with it a, long, a lot longer and you're sort of because of that length of time and expansive emotion and different characters and stuff, you really are more emotionally invested. Certainly it was that way writing it. I'm not, I'm not really sure if I could write that book now. I think there's something to be said about, I mean, even though I was in my mid to late twenties, there was still something about my way of looking at the world that was innocent. And I, I think, mm. in a way, not to say that the book is, I mean, of course it's, you know, it's not naive or anything, but the, I think there's a certain innocence I needed in being closer to those characters because they were younger and I was younger at the time. I think if I wrote that book now, I would have a different kind of um, narrative voice and, I don't know, just... I sort of, I, because I see the world differently than I did when I was 26 or 27, I think it would that would sort of come right. through in the narrative of the book. Oh, for sure. I was startled multiple times during the book at how things that I had forgotten, not necessarily traumatic things, but just the way of thinking. I just with Neil, even before he gets touched badly by his coach, how his sexuality is and the way he would see the world and his attractions without understanding it. And I was just like, Oh my God. I remember when I was like seven or eight and being at the store and looking at you know, the underwear boxes mm -hmm. and it's just not something you necessarily hear about in such a candid way. And different times during the read, during the novel, I was just like, Oh my God, I forgot what that was like. <laughs> and yeah, it's very, very honest. I greatly appreciated it. Thanks. Yeah, it was it was good. And even his complicated feelings toward his coach and everything and just how he always looked on it as, oh, this was, this was love. We were in love, even though he knew it was fucked up on some level up right until the last pages. And it's just like, oh, yeah. It's it's not love, but it's still a very complicated emotion. And watching the characters deal with it was just such a ride. And just everyone it affected, the ripple effect, it was just fascinating. And these characters, I could have, <laughs> I would have easily read an offshoot on any of them. Oh, thanks. Them. I've been asked that before, if I would consider, you know, writing some sort of follow-up or something but i can't really imagine doing that it's it's very difficult when you're with maybe not to sound sort of pretentious but when you're 
so oh, close to pretentious. I love it. <laughs> but when you're so close to characters for you know three years of your life, and then you have an ending for them, like the story that you've created for them ends somewhere. It's yeah, it's very difficult in a way for me to imagine writing some sort of sequel or even you know like a short story or something about them. I'm not sure I could do that. I mean, you could just do that really annoying thing that some authors have done where you could just tweet out random details. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, that's not... I can't imagine me doing that. <laughs> horrible. Horrible stuff. Just like, why? Why is this necessary? And uh, Wendy now does this. Okay. <laughs> okay. Great. Great. <laughs> also, Eric... Such a tragic character. I feel so bad for anybody who's dealing with unrequited love of a damaged person. We've all been there. <laughs> yeah, in a way, he's kind of my favorite character in the book. I'm, And I'm glad that they didn't... I mean, he, in some ways, he and Wendy could have been characters in the movie to that could have been cut back. And I'm so glad that, that Greg didn't do that. They're, they're both made very strong and individual and important characters in the movie too and you know he eric's the one that sort of literally brings them together and then he's i don't know he's also mary jane the producer of the movie once said that he's the heart of the movie and i sort of agree with her you can i don't uh, know i would agree with that yeah there's there's just something so lovable and warm about him and yeah I will say, I mean, I wanted to immediately, I didn't because that was just too much trauma to do to myself all at once. But I wanted to immediately watch the movie again after I read the book, having the extra context for those characters that I'm sure the actors had at the time, knowing what was going on in their heads and the things that, that weren't in the movie mm -hmm. that were in the book, just the little details of, of what they were thinking in this moment. And... I was dying to go back. I mean, I probably honestly will later today. I'm supposed to go to one of my friends and I don't think he's seen it. And, <laughs> go traumatize I him. Trauma <laughs> I love traumatizing him. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like, hey, let's, you know, you want to watch a new French extremity horror movie? It's fun. <laughs> That's great. And yeah, I'm that kind of friend. <laughs> Wonderful at parties. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Eric was probably the character that I felt the most connected to there were aspects of the others that I very much was like oh yeah I understand this emotion or this type of relationship but he was I would definitely say he's the emotional heart of it because the other characters are so damaged it's kind of hard to always relate to them yeah that's true the, char the character of Neil is so fascinating do you remember at all what went into crafting him? Was he based on the type of a type of person you knew, someone you knew? Was it completely out of your head? I just I, I want to know. <laughs> the good thing, at least for me, about writing a multiple narrative is I kind of took like different aspects of my own self and kind of fractured them, not only between Neil and Brian, but also you know, in some part with the other characters too. You know, I not that I've had like some double life, secret life or whatever, but you know, you sort of you present a face to certain you know, 
friends or members of your family and maybe it's not mm-hmm. the face that you present when you're like you know going out drinking with friends or hooking up online you know or something like that so oh, definitely <laughs> yeah it was Very versions of yourself <laughs> <laughs> so in a sense it was easy to kind of i don't know use my experiences and my sort of emotional experiences and sort of different things from my life but use them in different ways through two kind of opposite characters um Mm -hmm. and neil you know based on me but sort of also based in some part on someone i knew in new york at that time i don't know that's sort of the way characters are though so often you write a novel especially if it's first novel and your friends back home or people you went to school with or whatever will say like oh i think i really recognize so-and-so and that character of yours or god did you base that on me or um but it's never really that way you know you, you by the time you write and rewrite and rethink and revise and then it gets edited and comes out a character even at, you know even if it might have started with like a genesis of some real person it it almost never really resembles that in the long run so yeah right. yeah it's such a process oh yeah Neil definitely reminded me of a couple of guys that i've known in my life really <laughs> yes they have a gravitational pull to them and watch out <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's but they're that's definitely that character yeah i just love how drawn everyone is to him even as a child i mean even his coach was drawn to him, obviously not in a healthy way, but he just has such a magnetic personality to him, even though everyone's like, you know, don't get close because it's going to get hurt, as you tend to do with boys like that. I've definitely known people like that. Mm-hmm. And poor Brian is just heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. Well, that was my goal, I guess. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for the heartbreak. You know, I hadn't had a good cry in a little while, so <laughs> I needed it. I felt very refreshed and rejuvenated. I had a good long shower after, a wonderful, exhausted nap. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> felt much better. It was just like a good cleansing. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for all of that. Well, thank you. So a lot of this deals with sexuality, a very young age. Like I mentioned, it's not something you typically see talked about much in any sort of real or honest way. Mm-hmm. How is that something you decided to tackle? I guess, you know, there are a lot of books that deal with this topic, but kind of do it maybe... Or at least at the time when the book came out, there weren't many that kind of, like you said, dealt with experiences at that age. Um, it was more sort of later, early teenage years, that kind of thing. And I was fascinated in, you know, studies and research for the book, personal experiences, etc. I was fascinated with how easily and deeply and strongly some children especially boys feel sexual attraction at that age but then how adults seem to conveniently forget about that or kind of sanit like sanitize that 
experience or that fact. So when I wrote this book, I knew I wanted to deal with kids that age, and I knew I wanted to make part of the story the kind of uncomfortable topic of enjoying what most people see as abuse. Um, yeah. And how that would be... Like, I knew that would be the most controversial thing about the book, and I, I think... The book was my master's thesis. When I first turned it in, I had a professor that I loved, who really loved the book. And then my other thesis reader was someone who used to be an editor at HarperCollins. And I had taken a class from him, and I didn't like the class. I don't even think he liked me very much, but he wanted to be my thesis reader. So I said, okay, let's do it. And then he wound up absolutely loving the book and recommending me to the people he knew at HarperCollins. And they are the people who wound up publishing the book so it was this great you know connection to have but the one thing he did say was you've gone really far with this you know child enjoying the abuse subplot or theme and i think you know, need to go even further because that's the thing that people haven't written about before and is really going to shock people but also make people see this in a different way so yeah i think it's sometimes it's good to have people on your side who are telling you not to scale down what makes you an interesting or good writer but instead to amp that up even if it's something like a controversy in your book yeah i it's very honest like i said it just and again as adult it's something you do just kind of forget about or not think about or forget what those exact feelings are like mm -hmm. and it's a very accurate and it is abuse, but at the same time, your body would enjoy some things and right. the way your brain reacts to stuff. I mean, he was convinced they were in love. Yeah. And his entire life was shaped by that. I mean, he was always going after older men with the same body type. And it just, it's fast. Psychology is fascinating. Yeah. And the way people experience things and remember things and. Yeah. What was your headspace like uh, during the writing and research of this novel? Was it easy to just kind of turn off when you were done writing for the day, or were you just... Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, I think I was a different person then, not only because I could sit down and work for hours at a time and not get distracted... And I just had such a goal in my head and I wasn't going to be happy until I got that goal finished. That, but also I was so kind of married to what I was doing that my life outside of writing that book just almost seemed like a completely different person altogether. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think there's various reasons for that also. There was something about, you know, when I wrote it, it had one of those like clackety clackety like box-sized beige Macintosh computers that, you know, with the super loud keys that my friend had loaned me. I mean, it was, it was still like that age where, you know, not everyone had, like, a laptop at their disposal at home. And, right. Um, so there was something about, like, actually physically writing the book that was, you know, very different. Like, I would lock myself in the room. I had this sort of odd like alien looking computer I was writing on I was doing it for my master's thesis and most of my friends that I hung out with in New York at the time weren't part of that world you know like I went to school at Columbia but I didn't really 
hang out with those people and I don't know I feel, I feel like if I wrote a fourth novel now like it would be very hard to sort of turn off what I was doing because contemporary life is you know even this in the space of like 30 years has changed so much and we're just now so connected at all times and you know to everything around us and the internet and what's I don't know. It's it's. I, I can't imagine myself locking myself in the in my room and writing a novel now. Although, thousands of people still do it. Oh yeah, for sure. And I also feel like since you wrote this in your twenties, mm-hmm. your twenties are such a specific time in your life that I feel like you are able to just kind of brush things off in a way that you can't once you hit your thirties and after. Hmm. So you probably wrote that at just the right time. If you tried to do it a few years later, you probably would have been like, oh my God, I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, exactly. So one of the most, to me anyway, standout, there's a few standout, you know, scenes, moments in this story. The most tender, and this was one that I thought was kind of fascinating in the way it played in the movie versus the book, was when... Neil sleeps with, well, not sleeps with, but has an encounter with the person with HIV. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, I thought Joseph Gordon-Levitt's performance seemed like he had a heart for, for a moment and like a realization that he didn't even realize he had. Yeah. And in the book, that was one of the things I was most curious to get at. His reaction played a little bit differently. But both of the scenes were so powerful. And again, you wrote this, I would, if it came out in 95, early 90s. So the whole, and if you were living in New York City, I feel like there was a big AIDS scare and stuff going on at that time do you know what your purpose was in including that yeah you know obviously neil moves to new york and as a novelist i had a certain amount of space in which i needed to make the point that well he's at the point where he's coming to his epiphany at the the finale of which is meeting brian so I think before he can get there, he needs to see the some extremes to where his life could be taking him because of childhood things that shaped him. So, yeah, you know, living in New York at that time, I was lucky that I moved there when I did and not 10 years before. But, um, but yeah, you could, you know, you still often saw people with, KS lesions or, you know, some other outward sign of the disease. So I don't know. I've actually had a couple of people be critical of that scene and say, you know, it's one of the more unsubtle moments. But um I don't know. I was well, I mean, certainly I was cert- it wasn't I was certainly happy with the way they handled it in the movie. I thought that's I thought that's one of the best scenes. Yeah, I think uh, both versions of that scene are wonderful. And for the time period and everything, I think it's very important to show that. And even that character, 
was so desperate just for a human touch. Mm-hmm. And it's heartbreaking. And that, you know, it could still be safe. But also, you know, this danger is out there. And that time period, again, in New York City, I mean, there was a huge AIDS crisis. And I'm so glad I <laughs> am a gay man in this time period, unless they kill us all <laughs> in the next few years. <laughs> <laughs> it, Yeah, I think it's a very, very touching scene. And before I switch over to the character of Brian, Neil's journey before the finale mm-hmm. also includes a extremely visceral and traumatic sexual assault which honestly I mean looking at the character of Neil is shocking it hadn't happened sooner in his life you know not looking at his being molested but a violent violent sexual assault like that which I think is one of everybody's biggest fears in the world mm-hmm. that oh. That scene in the movie is the hardest thing to watch for me. I mean, that is a million times harder to watch than these poor children. Yeah. Yeah, there's something yeah. about that that I it's I it's very hard for me to even watch that and I've, you know, seen the movie countless times at at film festivals and stuff. So it's it's actually even I guess testament to how good of an actor Joseph is, but it, it's very hard to watch when you actually also know the person in real life because he really, you know, makes it seem like he's, you know, that that's actually happening to him. Yeah, uh, this is one of those things is <laughs> I hate the rating system. I hate it so much. And this is, I mean, I would go so far as to say this is a, a seminal queer text. And that scene, again, is very important. I would hate it. I... I feel like an R-rated version of this movie probably does exist, but I've never seen it and I wouldn't want to. Yeah, I actually, I don't think they, I don't think they ever did. In fact, I do know the answer to this. Um, Blockbuster Ooh. asked, this was, when the when the movie came out on DVD, Blockbusters and, you know, stores right. like that were still big. And they used to ask filmmakers, you know, to cut things like NC-17 and um, not rated films. And I know that, Blockbuster asked Greg to do that, and he, I think he, there was like a verbal agreement, but then he hadn't done it yet, and they went ahead and like had the movie on their shelves anyway. So it was something that I think like at one point was supposed to happen, but then it never did. Which, yeah, like you said, I'm I'm glad. Yeah, I feel like it's very important. I wouldn't want to see a sanitized version of this, and it needs to be as confronting as it is. Yeah. As I was reading the book, there is, <laughs> I, I kept getting closer to that section and I was dreading it. I was like, oh my God, this scene feels like it's 15 years long in the movie because it's just so horrifying and visceral. I mean, you can just almost feel it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this book is going to be so much worse. <laughs> it's going to be stuck in his head for 15 pages. Yeah, and I got up to where he was meeting the guy, and I was like, "Well, I'm gonna go outside and have a cigarette while, while I get through this portion." <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's dangerous to be a gay man. It's scary. You never know what someone is gonna turn into when you get back to their house. 
Ugh, absolutely heartbreaking. And of course it's at Christmas time because the holidays are always the worst. I've had people say it's their favorite Christmas movie before, which I... That's hilarious. Uh, that <laughs> sounds like something I would say. <laughs> I don't think of it as a Christmas movie necessarily, but I should argue that and just start recommending it to people at the holidays. <laughs> this feel good, feel good coming of age story. It takes place at Christmas. Michelle Trachtenberg's in it. Joseph Gordon Levitt. It's wonderful. You'll be fine. Watch it with your mom and dad. I am also definitely recommending this to at least three of my friends that are much more avid readers than I am at this point in my life and giving them zero warning. Just read it. Have a box of tissues. (laughs) The character of Brian is such an enigma because he's such a... I'm trying to think of how to even word it. The type of character he is is on like a different plane than everyone else. Mm Mm-hmm. And is so laser focused on what he thinks is an alien abduction. But also earlier he does, and I believe this was a thing that happened to him, saw a UFO with his family. Legitimately saw one. Mm-hmm. Which, awesome. I've never met anybody that has seen UFO. Well, that, that, scene's from, that scene's from my personal experience when I was... Really? Yeah, it's funny. There's so many things in the book that people assume are, you know, written sort of word for word from experience. And uh, that is probably one scene that people think I just sort of made up. But no, when I was, yeah, when I was a kid, my mom and sister and I sort of had that happen to us. So, yeah, that's an example of you're writing a novel and you need something from experience to serve your overall thematic purposes and there were certainly things from my life that i used in the lives of both those characters and that was that was one the journey he goes on is so fascinating and heartbreaking as he gets more and more pieces and just lives this incredibly i mean both of their lives are really really heartbreaking but at least Neil is surrounded by pretty good friends. Might not always make the best decisions together, but Mm -hmm. a relatively good support system. And Brian is mostly on his own, except for another person that is kind of damaged. Incidentally, one of my friends from college met Marilyn at a comedy stand-up thing and said she was lovely. Yeah, I love her. She, I, I got to know most of the cast pretty well because, you know, we went on a lot of like, film festival movie opening type things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Mary Lynn only I only met her once. She came to like the L.A. premiere. Um, but it was it was really great to meet her, and that was kind of either at toward the end of like her twenty four fame, or it was maybe right after that. And I think she, I think I think twenty four was still on TV. So she was. Yeah, very, very well-known and well-respected then, and it was so great to have her kind of take on this bizarre kind of, you know, secondary role and add so much life to it. Yeah, my what's so funny is that when I think of her, I think of Mysterious Skin. I feel like that was the first thing I saw with her that I knew who she was. Mm-hmm. 
And so when he was telling me about it, he was like, yeah, I met Gail the Snail from <laughs> It's Always Sunny. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love her in Mysterious Skin. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I, I I know she's in It's Always Sunny, but I've never I still have never seen that show. I don't do a lot of comedy, so I have not watched a ton of it. But I do love really unlikable characters, and they are the worst. So I do put it on sometimes. And it does have a very great musical episode. And I try to catch musical episodes of things because they're usually pretty entertaining. Yeah. Even if I don't watch the show, apparently one of the Star Trek shows is about to have or just had a musical episode. So I guess I'll have to watch some Star Trek coming (laughs) up soon. Brian's journey and Neil's that final moment with them I kept almost like checking the pages I'm like they still have to have this Mm -hmm. talk and I didn't know how the book ended versus the film and that's usually where things tend to deviate from book to movie adaptations and Scott when I say I cried this entire time I was reading it through (laughs) it was blurry chain smoking I finished it blew my nose and I was just like oh oh my god I'm gonna kill him I'm gonna kill him kill him (laughs) so many emotions well certainly I had the end of the book written in my head long before I had actually gotten there so I remember when I was writing it even though I had that whole scene mapped out and I knew what I wanted to say and even like the last few lines the last paragraph I like, I, I wouldn't physically make myself write it until I got there. Because, to me, all the emotion I was feeling in the actual, like, physical writing of the book would also come out in the prose and emotion of the that scene. So, yeah, I'm certainly... You know, Greg changed the last lines, but what he made the last lines of the movie into were also very memorable and kind of iconic for that movie. And... Yeah, it's um, beautiful. And even though he changed the lines, he really didn't change anything else about that scene. So, yeah, that was great. Yeah. If you want to cut this out, you might not know or you might not want to tell. It's totally fine. But I am curious. Do you think they got arrested after after the last sentence? <laughs> I don't think they got arrested. I think they probably hightailed it out the window in their blubbery state. <laughs> That's another thing. Back to what we were saying, though, it's... It's hard for me to even think of like the moments after that scene because in my head that's where it that's where the story ended, you know. So. Yeah, it's a wonderful ending. I one thing I hate and I will specifically call out a story. Jillian Flynn's sharp objects. Mm-hmm. Did not need that entire last 30 pages. <laughs> there is a climax. Did not need to be more. And I love when a story knows when to end on a high note and just leave you with whatever feeling it wants to leave you with. In the case yeah, of Mysterious just... Skin, I felt punched in the stomach, but in a good way. <laughs> and I love that. But I was just I was like, I wonder what happened to them. <laughs> this family just walks in on them in this moment. This is absolutely insane. It's Christmas. And I just, I have never been in trouble before. And so... Brian's whole like I've never done anything wrong it's just the thought of like you broke into someone's house right he probably shit himself but it was wonderful it was a great emotional journey and I know this story means a lot to a lot of people 
anytime I bring it up, and you know, a lot of times, especially with NC-17 films or indie things, people haven't necessarily heard of a story, or you wouldn't think they would know it, and then Mysterious Skin, I'm always surprised, like, people that haven't seen a lot of stuff or anything, they're like, oh, yeah, I saw, I saw that movie, it was really good, and it does, it means a lot to a lot of people, it's a wonderful story, I have no criticisms of it. I would tell you if I did. I'm very brutally honest. <laughs> I mean, it's it's good that it had the cast it did and have, you know, have sort of come into their own as actors and who still have a fan base. And weirdly, I think Letterboxd, the site Letterboxd, has really been a great kind of forum for the movie. I, it, Letterboxd has such a word-of-mouth aspect to it with film fans and love letterboxd um, yeah i mean i i really think something about the movie really appeals to the average letterboxd fan and they they've really kind of you know given it a a great staying power i think so that that certainly makes me happy yeah and again i do love i wish more people knew to look for if something was based on a book because for better or worse, I feel like it's always rewarding to see slash read both versions, depending on whatever order you do it in. It's always a fun exercise at the very least, but often you get something really good out of it. I felt like I had gone through a month of therapy after reading this book. Thanks, and I guess. <laughs> no, it's a good therapy's wonderful. <laughs> life changing, absolutely life changing. It was really beautiful, beautiful characters. I love something that isn't afraid to tackle rough subject matter. One of my Twitter friends mentioned uh, reading your other novels after she had read Mysterious Skin because it completely broke her, and now I feel like I need to read those, but I'm mildly scared that (laughs) I'm just going to be broken in all of them. So... Where can people find you on the socials if they want to get a hold of you and scold you? Well, that's a that's a good their afternoon <laughs> and making them cry. <laughs> that's a good question right now, since who knows what's happening with? Yeah, well, I where, mean, I, where can people find I'm just this week. I medias? yeah, <laughs> just this week. I or last week, I guess I joined Blue Sky and Threads, so now I'm on all three. But even though I hate what's twi- what Twitter has become and what it's becoming i still obviously post most on there and and get most of my like online you know like instant news from there so i hope that blue sky or threads or something becomes the new twitter or that there's eventually a you know i hope there's eventually a solution to remedy actual twitter (laughs) yeah and all the all the issues that come with that twitter is it can be such a nasty place, but it's also so, I mean, there's no social media site like it where right. I feel like Facebook has made me hate everyone I know in real life, <laughs> and Twitter has made me fall in love with so many strangers. <laughs> uh, one of my friends from Twitter just came and drove like two hours and came and did Barbenheimer with me, and again, like, even... Like you, I hadn't even read your book, and you followed me on Twitter one day, and I was like, oh my god, that's the author of Mysterious Skin. I need to nail this down, see if I can talk to him, read that book, find out how this came to be. And the thought of losing that type of 
communication access. Yeah. Because of a spoiled brat is so discouraging. And I mean, even a lot of journalists and stuff. I mean, that's where people do a lot of their promotion and it's where I do all of my networking and the thought of losing it is just deeply sad in a way that I refuse to apologize for anymore. It's just sad. And I really hope one day it will not die like my space and will continue on since everyone <laughs> aside from the people in charge are trying their damnedest to keep it afloat and still a good place in spite of, you know, the Nazis and whatnot. <clears throat> I agree. So uh, what's your handle? If they want to reach out to you on Twitter, or blue sky or threads or I think it's Scott underline Heim and, um, uh, I'm on Facebook still my name. I'm pretty easy to find there. Um, yeah, I'm very easily found. I'm usually pretty approachable online. You are. You are approachable. Yeah, I find it sort of silly when... I mean, unless you're so famous, you know, that you have, like, an actor and you have no time for social media. But I sort of feel like, you know, for the most part, if you have social media accounts, you should, you should be open to people contacting you. Within reason. Yeah, <laughs> If you want to find the podcast, it is on a lot of socials. It's on Blue Sky, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just search Men Who Like Men Who Like Movies or Triple M Pod with three M's. It will come up. There are not any other Men Who Like Men Who Like Movies social accounts. And if you want to find me and talk to me on the socials because I'm super fun, you can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, Blue Sky at Just Happy to See You, number two, letter C, letter U. And if you want to email the podcast about anything, a deeper discussion and social media allows, or if you want to suggest something or whatnot, our email is men who like men who like movies pod at gmail.com. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time to come talk to me about this book you wrote in another lifetime <laughs> in the wonder most wonderful decade ever to exist, the 90s. And talking with me about this moving story, it was such a treat. And I know a lot of people are going to be very jealous because this story has meant a lot to the queer community. So this was really an honor. Thank you. Well, thank you. You were a great interview. It was fun to do. Oh, thank you. So until next time, everyone. Bye.